Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Oh, hello guys, my name is Leek, you are here with another episode of Mental Health Check-In with my guest Corey George, just waiting for him to come into the room. Yes, we can come, come into the room. Um, guys, trigger warning, we're going to be talking about, oh, Corey, what's up, bro? I've been talking all day. <laughs> my last one and after this I'm off I'm like, but it's listen I had like this like you're like my third one a day I'm just like ugh. No, I'm after this I'm just I'm, I'm relaxing after this no I get it. I I truly do get it um so what's so what's going on what are we about to talk about I know you're gonna talk about trauma so let's go ahead and get this <laughs> Well, actually, let's give folks a few minutes because we started a little late. Yeah. Let's give a moment to to drop in. Say hi to everybody. You know, hopefully. hey everybody. Yeah, we're yeah. you know, trigger warning. We're gonna talk about mental health. You know, this is a mental health check in. You know, where we just have a conversation around the mental health. You know. Yeah. Well, I go in real deep because listen, you know, I love us that much, so I will talk until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> listen, Corey was. Um, on a program that I had, guys, um, about sexual he's sexual abuse, he's one of the speakers, and he was real good, like really, really good. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, I always try yeah, to, I always try to do what's, uh, <laughs> try to do what's best um, for everybody involved. So, you know, it's 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 what I do. You know, it's my it's it's my passion. It's my love, and. Yeah. I don't think I could be doing any, you know anything else now that I've discovered what joy this brings, even when I'm tired. Yes. And, um, talking about you know the fact that when you start healing, you you sometimes uncover the fact that there is more for you to do in life, you know. Yes. And you start to live in color because for most of us who are suffering from mental health issues, trauma, or past pain, we think we think that survival is a goal, and it should be the default goal. And so survival should be your default goal where you have your basic needs met. That should be your default goal for life. But then on top of that, how are you enjoying, you know, are you enjoying your relationships? Are you enjoying taking chances on yourself? Yeah. Because I can, I can literally tell by how people move in the space if how they, how they responded to how they were raised. Yeah. Um, and it's a magical and, and it's a gift that and it's a gift I like having because I'm able to tell people exactly why they're responding that way. Yeah. And some people just think, oh, well, this is all I know. And I said, the fact that you can say that that's all you know means that you can change it. The fact yeah. that you can that that's all you know means that there's more for you to know. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, so I'm gonna start to start in so. I don't know where you want to get started because this no, is I'm, real. I'm gonna start it now because I'm not popping on Instagram, so I think they only give me like an hour on here. So, yeah. <laughs> like, you just, I mean, I, a celebrity. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a few followers here and there. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first question I want to ask you, thank you for coming on this mental health check-in. You know, um, first question I like to ask, I ask my guests this all the time, because I think it's an important question to ask. Um, how is your mental health? And the reason I ask that question, because a lot of people can ask somebody how they're doing, and they can say, okay, but they're still struggling mentally. So how is your mental health? You know, all things considered, you know, uh, today has been a, a busy day because uh, someone someone asked me in a DM, yes, maybe a few days ago, Corey, you work in this thing every day. Does it ever leak over? Not that it leaks over into my personal life, but yeah. mental exhaustion does sometimes because I'm so in tune with my clients. I'm so in tune with people. Um, I have to put up boundaries so I can only have so many clients in a row. One day I thought I was ambitious and I had four. You, but you could have put me on a stretcher. I was done. But I do two at a time. And then I go and, and, and also the luxury is I work from home and I have kids. So I can go upstairs. If I'm not checking in with them, I'm just sitting down with them and having a real life moment, you know, grab lunch. And then I back because I, I have to be as aware as possible and fully charged. So uh, today, mental health is fine. I'm just a little tired, but, not, but, it's, but it's because I've been doing my good work. So, yeah. Yes. Um, next question. Um, growing up, was it okay not to be okay? You know, in a black neighborhood, you know, the black community, you know, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, laugh, I laugh now because my healing says everything happened for a reason and I'm better for it because I decided what it was going to be. Uh, yeah. I don't even know if I ever was not okay. I think my, I think I was in a family that was never okay. I was in a I was in a group that was never okay. So it wasn't that we were not allowed to be okay. We coped with not being okay. And we are and I think we all, all knew that we were not okay. But what yeah. we you know, we were raised kind of poor. So there were some circumstances that were defeating. So we just acclimated, you know, acclimated and we thought, Oh, this is where we are. Let me just function in this piece. So yeah. it's not that we were not it's not that I wasn't allowed to not be okay. I didn't know how to think beyond not being okay. Yeah, um, growing up for me, it was, <laughs> I think, seeing my grandma, you know, sing, uh, you know, her, she dealing with her own trauma and, you know, seeing how strong she was, I felt like it was no room for me to not be okay or just be sad or anything. You know, my grandma raised me, my mom and dad, you know, was on drugs. Grandma took me to the hospital. So, you know, I grew up, you know, not having that mother and father you know, same household situation. Yeah. Um, my, next, my next question, um, okay, talk about mental health. You know, me and Corey have something in common. You know, we've both been through childhood sexual abuse. And I would like to talk to you about that. You know, how mentally, just talk about that, you know? Uh, what do you want to know? That's my um, question. So pick a topic. Tell your story. Bring you me. know, how did it affect you mentally, you know? Um, I think, you know, there's always going to be a, there's always going to be a trail of it, but I use it as motivation. So when I'm triggered, it's like okay, what am I learning about myself that keeps me humble enough to say I'm always growing? Um, I think well, I can tell you right off, it made me feel separate from other men. You know, from you know from young boys, I would compare myself all the time. I had low self esteem and didn't know it, and because of low self esteem, I put myself in positions for validation and affirmation that were unhealthy. You know, we're talking sexually, we're talking experimenting with things, we're talking even self-abandonment. So for me, I grew up in a space where I didn't see people respond favorably to people that had been 
raped as you know as a child in my family i saw someone be denied their help i saw someone and it was someone very close to me so i never said anything so it became very easy for me to abandon my own needs because i saw someone else's needs be abandoned and that shows up a lot in adulthood and you see people being yes people or pleasers and they go home exhausted helping everybody else and you're left empty thinking if i feel this up it's going to overflow on me which should be the opposite. You only get the surplus of what I've done for myself. So that's how it showed up for me. Um, there were there were years at a time where I I swore off sex because I was confused. Um, because I'm a proud, open, and comfortable gay black man, but I was uncomfortable with men. So there was an irony happening. Yes, I'm attractive, but I don't trust not one of you. And so. There was a conflict, but then there was a point where I thought, oh, if I do like somebody, I must have sex, <laughs> you know? So it was that, that whole thing of, and then also it impaired my relationships with other men in my family. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the hallmarks for me is when I see people who have joined fraternities who have, you know, had frat brothers and all that, and I don't have that experience because I could not cope with being in a group of people thinking I was judged. I would never pledge. You couldn't see in a fraternity because I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt like I was an outcast because of my experience. And, it were, and there were way too many questions about why. Why me? Um, what does this mean? Um, how did it orient me into uh, sex at a young age? How did it affect me in terms of what I, views it, what I viewed as a intimacy? I didn't unattach sex from intimacy until well into my adulthood, well into my adulthood, that you could be intimate without being sexual. So those are just some of the things. And then also, you, you know, when children deal with these things, we call that complex trauma. Yes. Or, or it could be termed something, uh, something along the lines of, of a developmental form of trauma. Because as, because as this is happening, your brain is firing off at lightning speeds, learning and adapting all the time. So it can impair your development on the brain level. And also, if you sustain a repeated form of abuse or maltreatment, it actually can change the brain structure. To whereas, when we, to whereas if you show up in school and you're acting out or you have a hard time focusing or you're fidgety or you have outbursts, some people may coin that ADHD. Yeah. But you don't have ADHD. You were traumatized and no one knew that that was a trauma response. So the joy I have in being able to say what I know is I can go and I can tell people, have you had your child... Um, tested or assessed for any trauma because the school is telling you what they know based on the school assessment which is totally fair but the school may not be equipped to say these these are trauma responses yeah so before we put your child on 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 medicine for adhd can we make sure that there's no other trauma because the medicine is not going to help them deal with the trauma it'll quiet their behavior but there's still a story that shows up in different ways so that's why I love what I do because I get to go in and turn around everything that's happened towards me and yeah. give them education and as healing and as partnership in families to get them to a point where it's let's talk about this every day. You know, let's talk about this. So I hope I mean, I mean you understand what you just said, like, oh my god, like you just I was over here smiling because of like the stuff that you said, like I you know, I feel the same way, you know, with the whole not being, not being comfortable around men, you know, not being able to trust them, you know, like, 
going to social set. Like for me, like social settings, like I, like you know, we talked on. Yeah, I told you about. We like the I hung out with a friend. Yeah, and not with a friend. Yeah, these. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was saying, and we think that because a child turns 18, all of a sudden, all the lights turn on. But, but dear, the lights were off, and now you expect them to now go cope in the world, and all they've done cope with a child. So now the same methods of coping that you were trying to use as a child, they don't serve you well as an adult because now you have to form relationships. Now you have to learn how to trust. Yeah. When in fact, when you were dealing with your stuff, you can, you know, kind of pull away and detach, be a loner, yeah. try to do things on your own. So when you look at people who are very independent, sometimes it's not because they're just, you know, they were taught that. Sometimes they're independent because they have no trust in anyone else to help them. Yeah. So Man, you preach it to the choir. <laughs> preach it hey, to the choir. Well, this is what my research is based on. This is what I hope to make as comfortable conversations, yeah. not over someone's head. It's like, oh, I can tell you why you're that way. I can tell you perhaps why you may be responding that way. And don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself if you're responding in a way that you have no other means. Now, you turn off the coping mechanism that you've had as survival as a child and give you a way to deal with the things you had to cope with. So now you can make adult choices in your adult body. Because when you make those choices, but you're making choices as an eight-year-old. You're not making choices as a 35-year-old. Yeah. When you have your trauma responses and you break down and shut down, that's the eight-year-old body saying, can you help me grow up? Yes. So it's childhood response in a 35-year-old body, and people think it's, think it's unreasonable. It's not. I could look yeah. at them. This is not the person that we think is responding. This is the painful part of them saying, I just want you to help me to pull me back into the adult form of my body. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good, man. You're more really smiling because, like, the stuff that you hit on, I I feel like like the same way, or you know, like like it it didn't start infecting me until I got older. You know, I didn't realize I had issues with men until I started going back to church. Didn't realize that, you know, I didn't realize that I had so much trust issues. I didn't realize I treat men like shit. You know, even like um, I tried to, you know, walk away from that whole gay lifestyle and everything. Because I was just so mad that that happened to me. I was just like, this is not my life, you know. And um, like stuff that you said today, it just hit on the nail. Like, you know, like my friend is getting married. <laughs> my friend is um, fiance getting married. And my thing, you know, I go to back to the trauma. My thing is like, okay, do I need to go to this wedding? Like, yeah. am I going to look right? You know, I'm so conscious about how I look. And I'm just like, it's playing in my head. My PTSD, my borderline personality disorder. It's just everything's playing in my head. And, like, stuff that you're saying, man, like... But you said something very interesting because trauma, especially of these types, when you talk about person... Uh, uh, you talk about person... I'm sorry, borderline personality disorder. Yeah. But narcissism, which, when we say it, it sounds negative, right? Yeah. But narcissism and... and um, borderline personality has its roots in trauma. Yeah. So, because sometimes what happens is, in some cases, when we deal with trauma, we split. Yeah. And so sometimes you feel like the victim, and then sometimes you feel like, you know, a there's a different form or a different version of you. So sometimes our splitting is a way of dealing with it. Um, there are so many ways to start the healing process, but. I saw how you lit up when I said, you know, when I was talking about the common things that happen and, and what that does for a client or anybody listening is saying, 
that doesn't mean that what I went through was great. That meant that what I went through was understandable and that someone else gets it. Someone else has gone through that. Because, and especially as men, we feel like we're alone on this island. Like, no one gets me. Well, that's because you were taught to never talk about it. So no one would get you. You have a reasonable reason to think that no one gets you because no one yeah. said they would. If you feel the way, it's probably because you were brought up thinking no one is going to get you. So just take it on the chin. And I say this all the time. Yeah. Some of us want to take it on the chin, but I, but so, and so I asked my clients, so you've been taking it on the chin all this time. So your chin is on the floor. So who taught you to take it off the chin though? It's okay to put it here, put it here for a while. But now let's go back and, and let's revisit the chin that you're storing all this stuff and yeah. figure out why your face is so long all the time. Baby, your chin is heavy. Baby, you can't smile because your chin is hanging down. You know, you can't smile. You can't hold your head up because your chin is heavy. Someone taught you to put stuff on your chin and you've been carrying this for years and now your face is heavy. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, did, I definitely did light up because, you know, like, it was like my experience, you know, I just always thought I was alone. And then the crazy thing, I thought I was alone for like a, the longest. And the moment I found out I wasn't alone is some guy on Instagram, I forgot his name is Nate, white guy. He mm -hmm. does like Healing and Younger You. I don't know if you ever saw his page. He does Healing and Younger You. I found that, whatever. But what mm -hmm. made me realize I wasn't alone when, you know, when we did the, you came on a platform with us and I was introduced to you in the Survivor Circle. And I was like, damn, like, I'm not alone, you know, that felt good, that felt amazing that there's other people that got, you know, like people, some people understand sometimes my mood swings or just anything, but it was dope to get somebody else that looks like me, the same color, that's been through the same thing to understand, because sometimes in my mind, I think that if you haven't been through it, you won't get where I'm coming from, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, well, well, I was, I was working at, um, at a job as a director of a certain department, and I had the experience of going to different homes and it was a homeless agency and they were dealing with homeless youth, but these youth were between the ages 18 to 24 and all of them had experienced trauma. And so I had the ability to go to these different facilities when they were acting out, I, I wasn't uncomfortable. I, but I, but I was not exchanging with them on a discomfort level. I was telling the staff, I'm like, you do know that those are trauma responses, right? I was like, we're engaging with them like they know better these are traumatized young people and they're only dealing in the way that they can. You know, some are always fighting there. Some are always having altercations People feel like someone's blaming them or someone's watching them. This is how they've coped. Our job is to help stabilize them. So I usually go in and I say, I understand. Yes. Even when it comes down to some of the most heinous responses, if this person has felt like they had to fight their whole life, why wouldn't they try to fight me? That's true. I mean, unless my safety is, you know, um, is compromised, I'm going to hold ground when she was like, yeah, you can be mad at me. I've been cursed out. I've been t threatened. I'm yeah. like, this is, the, this is how you stay safe. You go ahead and do that. But I'm not leaving you. I'll come back yeah. the next get cursed out with the same person and be told that, oh, so you don't understand me with them not knowing my own history. Um, I tell them, I'm going to... I'm going to sit here like your mom and dad did not do for you. I said, if you need me to sit here every day and you come see me for an hour and all you do is fuss, come on right here. Then one day, it's like, you didn't leave me. Yeah. No, I didn't leave you. 
you were because you were braced for failure. And I'm going to show you that not everybody is the same because what happens is we have this worldview or this view that's so general. You know, if someone failed us, then the whole world will fail us. If someone violated me, then the whole world is dangerous. And that's a fair assumption if you have no other means of coping or no other means of understanding. So my job is to help you understand by modeling who I am to show you that you can have a safe space. I'm gonna be this big old black man with a beard in your face saying you're safe. And if I, <laughs> while you're in my space, I'm gonna protect you even from yourself. I will, I've told clients, listen, I won't let you talk down to yourself in my presence. I won't let you blame yourself for, self for something that a, a whole adult have responsibility for. Yeah. I won't let you do that. I won't let you curse yourself in my office. I won't allow that because I, would I wouldn't do it to you or me, I won't allow you to be in this space and yeah. hurt you. So um, I enjoy it because when I see, you know, the retinas change, you know, yeah. it's the small things I see when I see them in the next session, if they're, you know, if they're more relaxed, if they're less rigid, if their vocal tone changes, if their approach changes, it's all worth it because all they've been waiting for was someone to be steady with them, even as adults. And then I teach them to understand what their needs are. If you need someone to sit and talk to you, it's okay to ask for that. Yes. Just because you've abandoned yourself for this long, I can teach you how to unabandon yourself. And it takes a while. It really does take a while. Yeah. And make yourself already without feeling selfish or without feeling scared of disappointment. So it can take a while, but it really is about being steady and being so committed in the moments that you can be, you can model what they can become yeah and the next part I just want to say um, you know I'm not a mental health professional but I want to put this out here that you know anybody that's struggling with suicide or just um, depression or any suicide ideation um, they have a suicide prevention life tech lifeline out there that you can call 1-800-273-8255 that's 1-800-273-8255 Make sure you reach right. out, and I'm going to put something in the comments. Um, I do. Um, I volunteer with NAMI, NAMI, um, Bucks County, and everything, and they have free support groups. You know, it's not no intent to replace therapy. You know, you, I know sometimes it's hard to find a therapist. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you can visit NAMIBucksPA.org, or you can hit up Corey. I don't know if you. I don't know if you book Corey. I don't know if you book. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, there are reasons. You know, right now I'm with my kids and they have their own needs, so um, okay. I, try, you know, I try to strike balance. But um, you know, I was I was going to say it's you know it's good that you it's good that you share that number because one of my one of my uh, renewed interests is black men and suicide because black men between the ages of 18 yes. and 35 they comprise the largest group of people who who are who are actually committing suicide. And it's it is hurtful for me as a practitioner and as a person that has dealt with his own issues, uh, just you know to see that a lot of us are are losing friends and family without having any idea that they're suffering. And I was on this thing and I said we can talk about symptoms of suicide all the time, but but black people in general have become such great maskers yeah. that even the signs are not even present. You be talking to a friend now, and then they may say, "Oh, they fell away," but then the next day they're gone. So we, yeah. so we think that think that suicide needs to be this big thing of, "Oh my God, we're standing off a cliff on St. Elsewhere." That's not true. Yeah. Uh, now we have an opportunity. 
because the pandemic and all the social unrest, all these things happening, we're all sensitive. So now this is the time we have these real conversations with our friends. You know, you check on the friends who are making the money, you know, check on the friends who seem to be the social elites. Some source, and some people who are social elites are only social elites because they can't sit with themselves long enough. Yeah. So you, you check on them. Yeah, no, check sorry, on you check on them. You make sure you check on the ones like not just text, call, knock on the door because you just oh, never know. Got, you know, I got friends who check on me because they yeah. think I'm a strong one. I'm a human that is highly skilled. Yes, yeah. I'm a human first. So, um, and I always ask ask a question. So, how are you feeling uh, today? If I ask you how you doing, that's an okay and hit send. Yeah. But but if I ask you, if I text you and I say, how are you feeling on today? That's very specific and pointed yeah sometimes i get the answers that shock me because i thought oh you're going through that today so you want to talk later on you know i'm busy now but if you want to talk later you know yeah. but let's so we have opportunities now to have these conversations now yeah um my next question for you which is for the just for both of them you know grief and mental health let's talk about it what do you want to talk about Let's just talk about how grief can affect their mental health. I could go first. Um, you know, in 2019, I lost my mom to liver cancer. Um, mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be in a position to pray, praying to God to say, God, heal my mom. You know, that was like a mm -hmm. bad experience. That was bad on my mental health, really, really, to see my mom. They sent her home to hospice. I never seen a dead body in my presence. So that was like real, real bad. Then nine months later, I lost my sister because I... She was missing my mom so much. Lost my mom, sister nine months later. So grief, I think a lot of people don't know grief. You know, it's grief counselors out there. You know, it's support groups. It's whatever's out there. Make sure you get your grief in check so your mental health can be okay. It yeah. messed me up mentally. I was grieving my mom. I think by the time I started grieving my mom, my sister died. I'm like, damn, how do you grieve two people at once? You know? Yeah. So, so you know, what you're talking about is complex grief. Because yeah. there's different means of what complex grief looks like. Um it's almost like you have to pick and choose. I had a client that lost their so their dad so their grandfather was in the hospital mm -hmm. and their dad died first and then their grandfather died the next day. Oh wow. That's it took us a while to get to a place where we had to reinvent grief. We had to say grief doesn't leave, but we have an opportunity to say what will it look like next year, the year after that. Um, you know, the first year, so if I'm doing grief counseling, really the first year is me listening. The first year is me listening and honoring your memories and helping you to honor certain things. I only, I only come, I only get concerned if the grieving is causing these effects that are hampering your life. Meaning, you meaning meaning uh, alcoholism, uh, substance abuse, a deep depression, or you're somehow neglecting your responsibilities. You're not going to work. So if it's not debilitating then it's okay. But then in families, we have to say it's okay to come and talk about losing grandma. It's okay to let your kids talk about how they feel because, you know, their uncle died. You know, because kids, kids are humans with feelings and they have attachments, you know, like everyone else. So it's really about making these conversations comfortable. Yeah. And even for you to, you know, I would say, because we have to understand that thoughts of anxiety and depression, they thrive in isolation. Because the thing that changes your thoughts are perspectives. If it's only your own perspective that you're swimming in, it takes you longer for you to get out of that depressive state because who else is pouring into you to help you to think a little differently or yeah. to see in a way that's not 
that's not abandoning him, but it's honoring it in a different way. So I always tell people, pick one or two people that allow you, you to be your most vulnerable and transparent. That doesn't have to mean you get on IG or Facebook and spill your guts. That yeah. just says, who are those one or two key people that lets, you know, that lets leak be leak? You know, who, I have two people that will not just hear me and not just pour into me, but also put me yeah. in check. And those people yeah. will often remind you of what you're doing well. That you is know, of uh, course, don't forget that this is going well too. So it's not to excuse what's happening, but yeah. you also remember that you're strong as well. So um, I've had a lot of loss in my childhood. So grief looks different. I don't go to funerals. I don't like them. It's my personal thing. I don't think I need help watching people cry. I'm already crying. I don't know if I need a whole group of people around me crying about the yeah. same person. Um, that's my that's my philosophy. I don't I don't find it comforting. Yeah. Um, but I let my feelings happen. You know, I let yeah. my feelings happen. If I got to stop what I'm doing to sit in the moment, I understand if I put it off, it's going to show up later. But whatever shows up later is out of your control. So just know that any feelings that you that that you avoid, they end up controlling you because. Feelings and emotions are energy. And if I explain this very quickly, folks will get this. Um, we have a baseline of how we feel. Yeah. But if you're very sad, that's an extra energy that your body is not used to. When you're overly excited, when you're off mad, that's extra energy. And energy is trying to find a way out. It's trying to find a way out. When you don't let the energy out, it turns into this hazardous thing inside your body because your body is responding to all of that stress your body is secreting hormones that is trying to help you to de-stress but if you're at that elevated stress level often or for a long time you start yeah. to tap organs you start to see yourself being you know pre-diabetic or pre-hypertension because some of the new because some because some of the chemicals your body needs to bring you out of that mode is also hampering you if it's so prolonged. So we have to be okay. careful that when we don't let things out, it starts to hurt us on the inside. And then when you have a trigger, and 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 it triggers, what the trigger does, it lets all that energy that you have stuck out, and you can't control how you show up. That's why sometimes when folks are triggered and it's this big response, you're holding in all this energy that there was no that there was no circulation out. There wow. was no way. So meaning it's talking, it's going for that walk, it's being mindful, it's having friends to talk to. Your body is saying, I'm holding in this energy from last year because I don't know how to cope. And as soon as I'm triggered, I come like a Mack truck. I want to tear everybody. Listen, and everybody, I... but no one is understanding. It's only because you don't know how. And even when we look, even when we look at PTSD, um, in most cases, it's the brain stuck in that memory saying, this memory is now filed away like every other memory. And the memory is also attached to responses and the way that you respond. So every time you're triggered, it feels like it's happening all over again. So you have the exact same response. So, hey, everybody. I see folks waving. And listen, I want to thank you guys for joining us. And because um, and I could be long-winded. And uh, it's okay. Listen, you, listen. What you speaking is like truth, man. You like, yeah. I think you know, like this conversation is kind of helping me because I've been feeling, you know, with the sexual abuse. Sometimes you go back to that deep place. Well, no, know. we, yeah. yeah. But I'm glad that you feel comfortable sharing because 
it doesn't change when you get older if you haven't worked on it. It doesn't. Well, it does change. It 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 just basically turns turns to impairment of yeah. other because as an adult, you're responsible for making new connections and you're responsible for living life. So now it's like, you know, I was dealing with what I had gone through was very interesting because I decided that everyone I date is going to be someone that had to save me. Oh. <laughs> um, I didn't, because I didn't know what it felt like to be saved. Mm -hmm. So when I dated you, you had to be not only my safe place, but my savior. Wow. So I gave you the keys to run me. I gave you the keys to start my car. Wow. So, so when you ran the car down and you didn't put no oil in it, there's no gas and all the lights are on and you burn all the bulbs, my car was left in, in a state that I could not repair it only because I gave you the keys. I had, to, I had to give you, because I gave you the keys. Yeah. So my lack of being able to work, to walk into something in a more healed state and happier gives you the keys for you to drive me down to the ground. Then I blame you for you getting in the car that I gave you access to. I gave you the keys. So now I, so now I got to buy an, another car with bad credit. <laughs> but then I give somebody else the keys. So yeah. I'll be junkyard within myself. That's so good, man. That is so good. So, I like that. I feel like at the poetry, they be like this at the poetry. Okay. That's how I feel. That was good. So, that so was funny good. Story, I started. So <laughs> we talk about the term. Uh, well, it's a way to kind of take yourself out of the space of trauma. I used to write. I started writing at seven, age seven. So my abuse started at six. I started writing poetry and different things and songs at seven. But in my writing, I was escaping everything that was hurting. I was I was writing to escape, you know. And so in my writings, I had the perfect family. In my writings, I had the perfect uh, father, you know, perfect parents. That wasn't true. Um, and then my writing became more of my voice. I didn't talk because I had a bad impediment. I couldn't talk, but my but my stuttering was also impeded by trauma. So. I had a stutter, which I was bullied and teased for, on top of trauma that no one knew about. I could barely talk. But my writing thing. So even now when I speak, I speak in a poetic way because that's how I started. Um, and, and I like to use analogies because I know a lot of scientific terms. I'm, I mean, I'm a doctoral student. But that'll go over your head. I want to make it as real as possible so you get the concept of what this looks like. You know, and it empowers you to know that because if I tell you that you gave the keys, that means that you can take your keys back. <laughs> yes. That means that when you're ready, you, you listen, give me my damn keys because you because you messing up my car. Yeah. Like you left a Twinkie in the seat and I sat on it. Now my seat messed up now. You know, just <laughs> just you know, because I think learning fun, learn you know, yeah. learning about your your learning about your innate power should be fun in spaces where it could be sensitive, you know? I don't want to be the, you know, the ministry because this is my ministry, but I don't want to be over your head. I want to sit, I have sat Indian style with my clients. I've, I have met them on the floor. I've gone to Starbucks to meet them. I met them at the gym after a workout in the parking yeah. lot. See where you are. You know, I don't even dress up in my sessions. This is the best you'll see me dress up in a session because I want to meet you where you are. Yeah. Because you've had enough time to judge yourself. I don't want to be in a place where I'm 
something that makes you judge yourself just you know simply because of how I show up. Yeah. Yeah. Um next I got like two or three more questions for you. The next question, um what Ask information what, what information can you give to people who, you know, I mean, to parents, you know, you know, being around sex, child and sexual abuse, what information can you give to them, the signs to look out for, you know, like how can you equip them to like, you know. Are, are we talking about parents or or people to see if, people to tell or maybe assess if a child may have gone through that? Yes, yes. All right very easily we can talk about changes in mood. If you had a naturally outgoing child, naturally outgoing, you know, some kids are just love on everybody and they, you know, and, you know, on the playground, they're leaders and they run stuff, you know, yeah. then, and, and then one day it changes and they're quiet yeah. and they become meek. Watch that. Um, if, they if they complain or have an adverse reaction to, certain family remember well certain family or certain adults or certain people that they were okay with before if they tell you they don't want to go to to grandma's house or on so and so listen listen to your children and ask them why don't think that just because they're family they should be forced to be around anybody yes if your child says i don't want to go there and they usually don't go there have a conversation ask them why their why their mind changed and <laughs> i'll say this every time i talk about this any parent who parent who disagrees they can fight me in person because i don't mind offending <laughs> them. if i gotta save your child and offend you in the process my hands are ready because i gotta save your children if you can and i will vow to that but a child's voice is always heard that whole thing about yeah. children being seen and not heard is bullshit like i said if you disagree you fight me in my dms um <laughs> and then i have to ask you when it has ever served you well as a child because sometimes we actually project the things that we thought our parents did well. It's not that it's not that they did it well. It's that we normalized as normal behavior. So growing up, we couldn't talk back. But what if talking back was just telling you how I felt about something happening, and because you made a decision on how I should process that, I should be okay. Yeah. Um. That's not fair. My kids tell me everything, and I'm happy about that. But going back to your your uh your question, so look at mood changes. We look at changes on how they relate, you know, to other individuals when they were okay before that. So, so the main thing is look at changes. If a child starts bedwetting, yeah, that's a. If you see, um, if you see blood in their undergarments or in places where they where they should not be bleeding, mm -hmm. if you see them acting out sexually and or sexually or it's or it's more provocative than usual, that could be learned behavior from their assault, and also look how they play with their toys. Yeah, if if a six year old is putting their their doll on top of each other, that's a problem. How do yeah. they know? That? How do they know that? Um, if your child was quiet and then they're all of a sudden very outgoing, you know, we look at sometimes even as you know, e you know, e even as a teenager, if a young girl is somehow promiscuous, we talk about her, we try to make her feel bad, but yeah. that could be a product of sexual assault. Yes, that's you true. know. E we should not be pushing young men to, you know, you know, to sow their wild oats. It's okay to teach a young boy. So we're missing the mark on even seeing if they're, you know, if they have an issue as well. Yeah. Um, if we see adverse reactions to, you know, to certain things such as screaming, yelling, uh, if they if they have loss of focus, loss of attention, yeah. Um, if they're if they want to hurt themselves, 
You know, if you see scratches on the arm or, you know, marks, burns, that's self-injury. And self-injury is not always indicative of suicide behavior, but yeah. it is uh, they're trying to cope with something. That, so it's not just about falling on the playground, but if you see consistent fresh wounds all the time and they're hurting themselves, there's a problem. And I always tell my, and I always tell parents when I get the chance, it's as simple as asking your children, well, how was your day today? Um, how was your time at grandma's house? And so what did y'all do at grandma's house? Was there anybody, uh, was there anybody that came over? Um, was there anything that happened that made you uncomfortable? Was there anything that made you uncomfortable? Because the worst thing a parent can do is hear later about an abuse and yeah. they say no. Well, did you ever ask to make your kid comfortable to check in with you? Because now what happens is I started to talk to my kids when they couldn't talk. Ask them about going to preschool. And they can barely talk. Now my kids will come home and just pour into me when they feel like because they're teens. So there's times they don't want to share, but then there's times where they just unload. Because I don't want to be that parent that doesn't know what's going on. Yes. And I everything, but I'm going to new mo but I'm going to try to know most of it. So those are and 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 also let's look at you know the negative behaviors such as fighting. We yeah. can have kid that's fighting, you know, a kid that's just having a hard time adjusting, you know, to, you know, uh, to other peers, a kid that seems to have low self-esteem. Um, we can look at all these bad behaviors. Um, we can look at excessive drinking because some kids will start drinking, you know, at 13, at 12, and you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see that they're taking street drugs. Yes, it's okay to say, hey, we need to get you help for that, but why are you doing this at that age? Is it only peer pressure, or are you, or are you avoiding some feelings that you can't yeah, seem yeah. to cope? I think so, you're a dope, dope parent for that. Let me tell you, um, I don't think you're a dope parent for that because, like, a lot of us, you know, it wasn't taught to, like, you know, I feel like parents should be looking out, like how you look out, you know, like say, hey, make your kid let it be known that if somebody does something to you. You can tell me, you know, nobody never taught me that. I was a taught that. I feel like if, I, if somebody would have told me that, I would have spoke up and said something. But, you know, we're not, well, you know, a lot of people well, don't expect it to happen with family. You know, they don't expect well, it to happen. But the reason it's important is that we can't always, we can't always stop this from happening. Yeah. But the soonest we get under it and we show support, um, I've had family members and even clients say, hey, you know, my family chose to not believe me. Yeah. But what does that do to a child? that's not believed. First, it opens them up to more abuse. Secondly, yeah. it empowers the freaking perpetrator. If they know you're silent or they know you're not going to take up the mantle, it empowers the people who have hurt your children because yeah. they learn, oh, I can get away with this, so let me do it again. Let me do it again. So parents, wake up. Caregivers, wake up. Listen, man, listen, I understand. Even if you're not <laughs> sure if it happens, always believe the child first. Because a person who because a person who feels believed, that takes a weight off of them. It's your job to then trace it back. If my child says something, I want to make sure that they're not misinterpreting an action. Because it could be, right? It could be accidental. It, it could be something that they misinterpreted. Let me go back and investigate. That's my job, not theirs. Yeah. Because if not, then we're leaving the child to try to make sense of this by themselves. And the child is limited. So and so let me give you a gift. So let me ask you, so when did this start with you? I can't remember the exact age, but I know it's between the age of 10 and 14. Okay, so let me give you a gift of, 
uh, gift that you can take. So between 10 and 14, so the human brain stops, it uses self-development until, you know, to around age 30. Okay. So, so were you, so you weren't even at the halfway mark yet. No. So when this happened, everything that you were feeling, the way that you process that is between the age of 10 and 14 on a, on a brain development level. How, and so how old are you now? 32. 32. So if it ended at 14, that's 18 years. Yeah. Now the person will probably think, oh, at 32, you should be able to cope with this. But let me tell you what's happening. Every time you compare yourself to other, uh, other guys, you yeah. become years old. You're yeah. not 30. Because your yeah. brain, it's encoded all those responses and feelings that's associated with that. So whenever you're triggered, I, when you're triggered, I could probably see the 14-year-old eyes in you and yeah. say, you're not here right now. You actually left the room. Yeah. Your present body left, and the 14-year-old said, I'm still here waiting on y'all to set me the F free. Yeah. Once you heal, then he joins you in unison and say, we can move forward now. But what he's doing, he's saying, you haven't talked to me yet. Yeah. So you have these trauma responses. You're responding at the age and the brain development level that it happened. So that's yeah. why... It that's why if someone else sees it, it could look unreasonable. And your friends are like, well, I don't know why you feel that way. I walk in and say, he has every right to feel that way. Yeah. Some people don't that get it. For him. But, he, but based on what he's presenting, and, and, and now I would say it'll be unreasonable if you went through the healing process and yeah. you're supposed to okay, I would say, okay, then perhaps there's some more work to do because this aspect is still there for you. Yeah. Um, and so anyone you know who's listening, I want them to understand that when we deal with things that are painful our mind says this happened at this age or this time in our lives yeah. when it comes up and it hurts it brings us back to that point in time and then we have a hard and then we have a hard time controlling it because at 14 if you don't have that emotional regulation it it was hard then yeah it'd be hard now yes oh, thank you for that um my last thing i want to say right um not a question but i just want to say no, like tell her. I want to go into a good note, right? You know, I got this. Song, I got something in my hand right now. I need everybody to get this book. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to show this book. Make sure you go in his bio. He has a book. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to read it. Make sure you guys buy it. Talk about it because I'm a little kind of not even shy, but I don't think about myself like that. But yeah. um, have you started reading it yet? No, not yet. Okay. So when you start reading it, I need you to, you know, let me know the parts that hit you the most because um, I wrote this book years and years ago. And when I look back, because I find a copy here or there, and what I find is that um, how, how do I say this? I find that every chapter can stand on its own. Wow. So you can start at chapter five and go back to chapter two. So every chapter is an independent thing. It's a it's a chronological thing if you read it, but someone made me aware a few years ago and they were like, you do know that each chapter is a life lesson. So there's a goal for me to actually do a program or a, or a live and, te you know, and teach those principles of the book as a live session. So um, you can find that book on Amazon. It's called, uh, it's called uh, Sitterstan 2.0 and why it's called that. Um, you can get the link in my bio. You can go to Amazon.com. But if you buy it from me personally, I'll sign it personally. Oh, but it's really about understanding my trajectory 
through my abuse and everything else where I got to at that point. At that point, I was a life coach. That was years ago. Um, but it tells the transparent parts of what, what I had to go through to, to tell the truth about what I had gone through to myself and unravel everything because I had to do that myself. Yeah. Now, my, now my hope for everybody is you partner with somebody that you don't have to feel alone. I was, but that's not what I want for everybody else. But my favorite chapter, it's two of them. My favorite chapter is, I think, well, I want to say chapter two or three. It's about forgiveness. That was powerful yeah. for me. And um, the part about expectations, very big for me because I learned that expectations should be normalized. Yeah. You know how often people say, well, I don't have expectations. And it's usually because yeah. we don't want to be upset or upset or disappointed. But if we don't have expectations, then that whole relationship writes itself and no one is in control. Yeah, but, and I, um, you know, and in the book, if you buy a toaster at Best Buy, don't you expect it to make toast or are you waiting or, or, or are you waiting on a cheeseburger? Yeah, but it's best toast. <laughs> right, right. But you know what it's supposed to do. And if it doesn't work, yeah. you bring that toaster back. Yeah. But when it comes to some people, we say, well, I don't have any expectations. Why? Don't you have expectations for how you want to be treated, how you want to be seen and heard, how you want to be talked to, how you want to be respected. You don't want to yep. be hit in the face. You don't want to be cursed out. These are all expectations and you just lied. But you did that so you don't be disappointed when they're not met. Instead, yeah. I say if they're not met, you make a decision as to if that person needs to stay in your life. Yeah. So I don't shape anything out of fear of, fear of disappointment anymore. I say yeah. this is what I expect and if it doesn't work, it was nice playing, but I resigned again. <laughs> um, one last thing. Talk about the new show that you're on. I want everybody to, uh, you know, go. Yeah. So last week was the debut of a brand new series on A&E called Digital Addictions. So yeah. I, I was blessed, you know, to be the first, uh, the first interventionist. I shot the pilot and... Well, I, well, not the pilot. I shot the first episode, and I was on the first episode. So, so for me, the epic part is being a black man in the field that I work in, um, yeah. a black on a on a brand new show about mental health. The first voice face you see is me. So for me, it says that uh, there's a victory for us seeing us do this work. I don't want to be on the other side because yeah. we're always on the other side of it. Uh, so this show deals with with addictions on different levels in terms of. Yeah. Uh, let's say social media, internet usage. We talk about uh, devices. We talk about social media, especially and how it impairs you. And it's very hard for us to decipher if we have a problem because everybody had to use it. Like, especially during the pandemic, when things shut down, not only did we have to resort in it, but it was our only social connection. We couldn't go out and pose with our nice clothes. So we, took, <laughs> so, so we took pictures on our balcony or, 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 or pictures outside. But what happens when it becomes very dangerous in terms of a lifestyle? Uh, it, you know, if folks saw the first episode, there was Beth, who I fondly remember. Um, she was driving with an iPad in her car watching YouTube while driving. It impaired her and her child's relationships. Um, it was her coping mechanism. Uh, she, and she dealt with grief, but she didn't deal with grief because she turned to her devices as a means of controlling her her new relationships. So it was a means of her controlling that out of fear of losing. So she would, so it was hard for her to detach. It was hard for her to attach to people. So for that episode, so the takeaway from, 
for you guys I want to get is not just the addiction. What caused it? She also had PTSD from the military. So when you find comfort in things that are not adaptive for you, it can be dangerous. Because we think addictions and we think, you know, substances, alcohol. But now let's think of a new level because everybody is connected in some way. But are you losing relationships? Are you finding it hard? Are you, are, uh, is your social life gone because you're on your device all the time? Is your, um, are you depressed because you're measuring yourself against social media standards? Are you, are you finding a hard, are, are you also dealing with vicarious trauma because you're scrolling so much, you're watching the same church shooting over and over again. You're watching the same, uh, you know, the same, um, store shooting, you're watching the same school shooting, you're watching the clips of 9-11 all over again, you're seeing another man, another black man or black person getting killed by, getting killed in the process, being shot. And I tell my friends, don't forward me videos. I know I'm black. I, I know I feel this way. I know what's going on. You don't need to remind me to keep me in a depression or anxious about going outside. So I tell my friends, that's not for us. And yeah. we heard, we think that we're doing something. I'm like, sir, you know how many other people have already sent this? You're not adding in the fabric of information. You're making it dangerous now. Yeah. So now we look at how are we monitoring our usage? Are we having good social lives? Are we, are we spending time with our family and friends? Yeah. So that's what the show is about. So I was on episode one. Check me out in about six weeks later. I'll be, be on episode eight. Hey. So, uh, it's an exciting journey. This is the stuff I'm working for. Um, I was excited, you know, to be called about this opportunity. And this is when you understand that when you're doing doing your ministry and you're doing the work, uh, people will people will see. So anyone who's wondering about, well, so when will I get my moment? Don't worry about the moment. Worry about you being good at what the hell you're supposed to do. Yes. And people, that's that's the biggest gift I tell people is, do what you're supposed to do for you. If you're purposeful, your only mission is to. Is to fulfill the purpose. Nobody said that your purpose has to be gainful, but your purpose has to serve a purpose. And then, if you do your job the way you're supposed to, if you call down the blessings to be a conduit, and I've already said a long time ago, I surrender the ghosts every time I work. So when I work, this is this is not about Corey. I'm just a yeah. great educated conduit because the universe is, is where I pull it from. So people like to give me credit, but I'm like, I just make myself available. That's my only job is to make myself available. And then where it lands, it lands. Yes. For, I want to thank you for tonight, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, if you guys need the book or the show, <laughs> go to Corey Instagram. And the link is in his bio. You know, he got you. I don't know if you booked up, but, you know, if you need somebody to talk to, Corey is there. They can hit me up. You know, I'm convenient. I, you know, I, I'm raising a family. So I work from home, so I'm blessed, you know, to be able to, you know, facilitate. So yes. I work with families. I do family, um, I do family interventions, you know, as you've seen on TV. So, yeah. so there's proof. Um, but you take medical? Huh? You take people medical? Uh, no. Okay. Not oh, he doesn't. Not, 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 not for the work I need to do with y'all. Because okay. sometimes, <laughs> I tell people sometimes we have to go to the paint. Yeah. I've, I've, I've met families that have been angry with me because I called them out. Yep, it's time. Because no one else has done that in the family, but that's what I do. I don't take offense yeah. to
to the work I need to do. But there are sometimes I need to call you out on the carpet. Like, when has this ever served your family good? Oof. When? Uh. I'll, I'll take my portable whiteboard and start drawing examples or start drawing what you've told me and say, when has yeah. this ever worked? This is the grandmother. She's, she's dysfunctional. She affected her son. Yeah. Doesn't know he dysfunctional because he normalized that because he didn't know better. Oh, now, yeah. those same habits that you've normalized, you do to your daughter, and none of y'all realize that none of this has ever worked, and this is at least three generations affected. But your grandmother probably was in a dysfunctional family, too. So yeah. once we break cycles, man, look, once we break these cycles, man, we can prosper. Listen, I understand. Again, right. enough. Um, so, and so I hope you guys are not bored with me yet. But no, no, guys. no, no. You're very, you, you know, very informational. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on here tonight, Corey. You are thank welcome. And so last conversation of the day, um, and it was scheduled, so I was happy yeah. to be here. But again, if anybody has any questions, you can yeah. hit my email, or you can just go to, or you can just go to CoreyGeorge.com, c uh, c o r y George.com. If you want to book a consultation. And if you feel like you are ready, if you feel like you are ready to see a difference in your life, and it's not just about trauma, it's about coaching. Yeah. I have clients who I coach. I have families who I work with. Yeah. I have business owners that want to unlock their potential. Yes. It's about you. Make a choice about you. If for nothing else, it has to be for you first. So let me start your internal rehab uh, today. Yes. Thank you, man. L listen, guys, follow Corey. Links in his bio. Yeah, hey, brother. Thank you for the listen. You don't understand. Thank you for the conversation. It's always good. You know, when I first met you, you did the, the event. You know, hearing your story. You know, and just talking now. Just you know, you know, we've been through the same kind of thing. So it kind of, you know, it's happy. It's good. Good. Good vibes for I'm, me. But that's your audience, and I you know, hold my audience but. Again, um, you guys, please feel free to reach out. And if not me, reach out to somebody, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be me because I'm not for everybody. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And, yeah. and, and this is the last thing I want to say. A lot of people who I see say, well, I tried therapy once years ago, and, it, and I didn't like it. If you didn't like it, 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 or, did, or it didn't feel like a, a thing you trusted, try yeah. someone else. There's thousands yeah. of them out here. Try someone else. If Never give up. And you had a bad side effect. Don't say medicine doesn't work. Go back to that doctor and say, can you change the dosage or can you change medicine based on this? So you have so many choices that we're not, not exercising towards our healing. Again, it's your car. It's, it's your keys. It's, I can't heal you. I'm your partner in it, but I can't drive your car. Yes. Uh, right. We're going to, to talk later, but thank you, man. You have a great night. Okay. I'm going to talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye -bye.